On today's spooktacular episode of The Zone of Truth, Griffin and I unpack the thrilling verdict to the trial of the beast, explore the angry crowd mechanics of the riot, and more. We review a Halloween concert by pop-punk band The Wonder Years, dissect the sequel to one of the most terrifying kids' movies ever produced, and slash through some thrilling Halloween questions from our listeners. I'm your host, Steve, in studio with your GM and my co-host, Griffin. Roll a will save. You're in the zone of truth. And with that wonderfully executed intro we're back back in the saddle again yeah i know usually when i fuck up the intro that bad i just pause and let the editor take care of business but you know what it's already late taking care of business is this whole thing gonna be done in song no okay good i'm done i'm done now no that's fine what's going on griff oh not much man i am just ready to get into a Halloween-themed Zone of Truth, man. Oh, boy. Yeah, this is dropping the week of Halloween, only a couple days before the big day. I couldn't be more excited. I know the rest of the group's feeling it as well. I'm ready to rock and roll, man. Dude, I'm more than ready. Probably because of several days of prepping. Oh, God. Well, before we get into any of that, let's just talk about what we're drinking tonight. It's a chill Sunday night. Um, so I picked up some tranquility base beer from land grant. This is a black IPA, which I thought was very apropos for how spooky it is. That was a wonderfully synchronized crack. Yeah. I was going to see if I could sync up with you on that one. Nice. Well, cheers, Griff. Yeah. Cheers, man. Thank you for getting these. Oh, not a problem. Oh, they're delicious. That's a good fucking beer. And now that we've cracked open our beers, Griff, why don't you introduce our co-host? Uh, this is Steve, guys. Oh, hey. And I would also like to introduce my other co-host, Griff. Oh, what's up, guys? It's, hey. it's a pleasure to be here. Yeah. Um, it's been a while since the two of us have just hosted the show by ourselves. I think maybe it was the episode that we ran through, like, your, like, big feature. Do we have another Dude, one? Dude, it there? has been a while. I, I can't remember properly, but... I mean, we've had we've had a string of like five guests on here, I think. Yeah. And we just decided Halloween coming up a lot on our plates. Let's phone this one in. Yep. Uh, I'm very ready. I haven't looked at all, any of the script at all. So <laughs> I'm, I'm really ready to just kind of wing it. And you, dear listeners, get to enjoy that pleasure. Yeah. So let's get down to business. I'm going to throw on some Sirenscape, which I never forget to do. This one You is... totally didn't forget it last time. Nope. Nope, I didn't. Nope. I nope. totally didn't have to edit that in. Nope. Nope. No, nobody noticed that. Nothing in post. Uh, this comes from our soundscape, Layer of the Siren. This is just the siren song by itself. And I think why we're playing this will become apparent very soon as we talk about what I'm lovingly dubbing HLP Sprint Week 2019. I like to think of it as Spirit Week. Oh, let's do that. <laughs> Fuck it. All right, it's spirit week. Do we get to dress up? Yeah, actually, at the end of the week, we do. Yeah. So, all right. 
For those of you who have no idea what we're talking about. And if you're listening to us, you probably live under a rock. True. So Griffin, what Griffin and I are talking about is this insane week we have planned out. It has, we've got, we got a lot going on. So Griffin and I just got done watching a movie with Haley. We are going to record a zone of truth right now. Tomorrow, we're going to record. Tuesday, we're also going to record. Wednesday, playing Rune Lords. But if we don't do that, we're going to record. Thursday, we're recording the the regular episode. Friday is more recording. And then Saturday is a big, drunken, disorderly Halloween party where we're all dressing up as our evil interlude characters. Griffin, why, why did we get so behind? Why do we have to catch up on all these episodes? Or is it something else? Dear listeners... It is something else. Believe it or not, all of those teases at the top of the episode for the past probably three weeks, maybe more at this point, have been leading to something. We passed our $300 a month Patreon goal. Now, whether or not that happened, I think this was going to happen, but it's time for more evil interludes, baby. Bring him out of retirement. The witch, the tiger, the preacher man, and the surgeon, they're all coming back. It ties together real well with our big reveal an episode or two ago, and I can't be more excited to play these characters again. They're out of retirement, baby! I'm pretty excited to GM it. I have some very fun surprises for you guys coming up. It's a... It's a place in Galarian that is near and dear to my heart that doesn't doesn't get the love it deserves, I don't think. Mm-mm. And it's creepy as fuck. So I am super hyped. And so what I'm picking up is maybe a little hint for our listeners for when you refresh those podcast feeds in three days and pick up those latest episodes. This isn't going to take place in Ustalov, is it? You don't have to say where. I'm not going to tell you where. But we're going abroad, baby. Oh, boy. Road trip. Evil interlude. Evil, far, evil interlude, interlude far from home. The evil interlude family vacation. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, I'm stoked. We're recording that much because I have heard from our GM that it's at least going to be four parts. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how, how much you guys make it drag on. <laughs> we'll see how drunk Brooks gets. Well... I mean, that'll add two parts right there. Yeah, that's two parts. Right off the breath. Right Easily the listening to Mr. Turner talk <laughs> when Brooks is drunk. Yeah. Oh, but I don't think you uh, you adequately explained, so I'm going to do it for you. Okay. Those of you that have listened to the Evil Interlude might have noticed that this Sirenscape track went on for like two episodes one time. The The impetus behind that was that Steve got really drunk and stopped doing anything with Sirenscape. So we have this siren song now in the background of the evil interlude that's just... I, I know for sure it's entire it's the entirety of part three of Christmas and maybe most of part four as well. But yeah, we were recording all day. I got blasted drunk and either had to focus on playing the game or running Sirenscape. I couldn't pick both. So... You have like the big nasty saw encounter where he's tearing up villagers and he's just ooh, and then like saw goes up and mutilates an entire family. Ooh. And then that just keeps going for the rest of the episode. So uh 
That's fun. That's why it's going to keep going for the rest of this episode. Yeah, we're celebrating here. But Griffin, I don't say this very much. And I think more than any time that I've ever said it before, it is appropriate. Get ready to drink, because we had a lot to talk about today. Oh, I'm fucking ready, dude. You got me these these black IPAs, I'm in. We're rocking and rolling. This is the biggest agenda I've ever put together for an episode of Zone of Truth. So I don't know if we'll run long or whatever, but we got a lot to cover. Let's just jump right into it. So it's a couple episodes late, but we got a lot of good feedback from people who are listening um, about our big crowd episode. I think it was called, it was the episode called Panic on the Streets of Lepidstadt. Panic on the Streets of Lepidstadt. And people really liked how we played that encounter. After we got done recording that episode, everyone kind of leaned back in their chairs and was like, oh, this was a lot of fun to record. We really liked this new, different mechanic. And then you started explaining some of the mechanics that were going on behind the scenes that you were keeping track of. I would like for you to explain to the listeners all of that stuff because I thought it was fucking cool. Sure. I'd love to. I think the, I think one of the major questions that came up after that episode with you guys was kind of how, how the crowd is formed, how, how many people are in the crowd, etc. And the book does a really good job of telling you where, where that's supposed to land. So I'm actually going to read you guys um, the the kind of conditions that add or subtract from that crowd size. So basically, what you have done up to that point, either the people of Lepidstat are more on your side or more against you. In your case, they're more against you. So, uh, PCs befriending the Crooked Kin, which you guys did, that reduced the crowd by 10 townsfolk and one ringleader. Where does where does it start? What's our baseline for crowd size? You start at 50. Okay. So 50 townsfolk and five ringleaders. Perfect. Vorgstag has yet to be unmasked. Now, you guys had unmasked Vorgstag in a sense by the time this happened. So basically the way this works is that He's so well-connected in town, he can actually work against you mm-hmm. if you don't stop him. And so had you not put the pieces together with the surgical tools and with Sanctuary, etc., and gone straight there that day and ended him as yeah. you did, um, the crowd size would have grown by 20 and two ringleaders. It did not. Okay. So, so that's if we just kind of ran it by the books. You're supposed to go to an asylum. We went to the asylum and called it a day. Yes. Sure. Yeah. And and that's assuming that because this Vorkstag and Grind thing is kind of the background, the backdrop of all of the days of the trial. It just exists and you can find clues. And if if you guys on, you know, day two after the first day of the trial, if uh, that night after you'd found the surgical tools, you just followed up on Vorkstag and Grind, you could have actually gotten to it quicker. I don't know that that would have ended very well for you, <laughs> uh, but but it's a possibility. Another f- criteria is that the PCs used speak with dead on the children of Hergstag, which you did. That enrages the town. That adds 30 townsfolk and three ringleaders. So good for the trial, bad for the riot. Right. Yeah. You can counteract that if you had used Speak With Dead on Elsa to prove the beast did not kill the children of Herkstag because Elsa is the one that was his best friend and mm-hmm. like 
had more information, knew she wasn't killed by the beast, etc. You didn't do that, but that would have subtracted 30 townsfolk and three ringleaders. Okay. You could have... uh, And if you recover the bodies of the dead children, which you did, it's um, minus 10 and minus 2, or minus 1. So... Uh, you ended up because of that, like speak with dead, and not canceling it out. It actually hurt you. Okay. Um, but at the end of the day, I thought more bigger mob. This could be more fun. <laughs> but we didn't really have any terrible problems with it. Like we said in episode, and I and I think even after on the show, I mean we we felt the panic. We succeeded, but it was still a stressful, intense episode for all of us. Yeah, I, I think it's it's definitely so. So the way it's meant to be played in the book, you have this mob, you have the ringleaders direct, directing the mob around, mm-hmm. and the mob is supposed to start with trying to battering ram. Then they attempt to set up the ladders and finally they attempt to burn down the building. I took things in a bit of a different order, kind of having them like flank the building and having you guys split up and that kind of thing. Generally they're supposed to attack the front entrance, but I thought it was a little bit more fun, like having a war on two fronts kind of happen. Yeah. I just think it makes sense, right? If you've got, people are trying to batter down the doors, you know, the other folks go around to the side where there are, other doors that are easier to get in. Right, right. And I think it was just maybe tactics-wise, because those were smaller doors, it's like you're not going to be able to file in that quickly. Mm-hmm. I think one thing that I kind of manipulated there was you're supposed to break the mob up into groups, but I kind of had them, like like you'll notice when I did the bull rush attempts against Matumbe, mm-hmm. had them act as a group using the troop mechanics, which yeah. are kind of cool. You should look those up if uh, if you're doing something of this sort because it's very interesting. You can, you can basically give a stat block to a group of stuff that's not going to be... <laughs> let's face it, it's not going to be difficult for you guys to kill a villager, <laughs> right? But you make it tougher by giving it a giving it a new stat block with a with a group of them. So you can do that with stuff like if you're a necromancer, you could do that with a bunch of skeletons or something. And it adds a little bit to it. I modified it a bit because I allowed you guys to attack the villagers individually. Mm-hmm. But I I used it when I was like bull rushing and that kind of stuff. The other thing is the the whole risk of fire. It's actually written into Carrying Crown. But it's as an optional rule, like if you guys aren't feeling the the stress of the situation, which I felt like you guys were handling it really well. So, I mean, the building is made of stone. It's not supposed to really catch fire, <laughs> but they said, you you know, you can add this kind of thing. And I thought it was pretty cool. And I kind of wanted to relive that situation you guys had in, God, what was it? Like episode... Is it like the Ghost Rider episode <laughs> yeah, or Ghost something? Yeah, 12 or yeah. something. Yeah. Um, where it was like very reminiscent of that, but it really showed how much more powerful you guys have gotten. Like Lyra being able to, okay, now it's like six gallons. I'm going to make it, it rain. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm sure the adventure did not account for uh, having a waterbender, you know? Well, I mean, anybody with create water can do that. I know, I know. But um, if I'm 
If I'm just thinking on like stuff that was changed, I definitely included the crooked kin. Mm-hmm. That was a choice on my part because I thought there was a very high probability that Eclipse begins working against you guys, and I thought you probably needed some sort of help in this scenario, especially the way I built Sejira, being able to like hold person a lot and have a lot of kind of controly spells, I thought would be nice if Eclipse, you know, succumbed to the lopper and began attacking you or others. Yeah. But in terms of how it's run, I really recommend troop mechanics. I think that worked really well. The ringleaders were obviously like directing and that kind of thing and like shooting at you guys. But all in all, it's just it's just a bigger combat. Especially if you use troop mechanics, you don't really have to I mean I wasn't well, there was a point where I was making like thirty will saves and whatever. <laughs> that was just make to make you guys feel good about using the uh, thunderstands and shit. But. Yeah. Which was great. But you've hinted at this a couple times about villagers dying and Eclipse's will save. So obviously, much like things earlier in the trial affected the outcome, or rather, how we started that riot episode, Panic in the Streets of Leopardstat. If something, how do I put this, not great not had great. happened during that, say a rioter was killed, multiple rioters were killed... How would that affect the trial? And then, furthermore, if Eclipse failed that will save, do you want to tell us what would happen, or is that something you want to keep for yourself? I mean, I can I can tell you at least what I had planned. Okay, I think I think that's fair since it's since it's over. Yeah. Uh, so I'll I'll address your first point. So you guys did phenomenally. You didn't kill anybody. We had a close call with Igmar at the end. Yeah, you really did, because he could just dish out a lot of damage, and when something's sitting on, like, 9 HP, just a hit from him, especially a crit from him, is, even if you're attempting non-lethal, just super deadly. Now, granted, you know, you're going to have to do above, like, 19 or 21 points of damage, which he didn't, so he was okay. But what happens is that if you don't kill anybody... The difficulty in proving the beast innocent goes down. Okay. Which it did for you guys. If you kill less than five people, the difficulty stays the same. If you kill, like, I think it's less than 25% of people, the difficulty increases very much. If you kill between 25 and 50%, you go to prison. I mean, that makes sense. At that it does point, make sense yeah. at that point. Yeah. It's it's kind of like a vulgar display of power at that point, which you could have done. They're villagers. Again, like I, I ran troop mechanics, but not every GM's going to do that. And they're going to run 70 <laughs> villagers or whatever. And they're very easy to kill. Let's have a nice weekend long combat. Right. Right. But with Eclipse, if she had failed the will save, I wasn't gonna I wasn't gonna outright attack you guys. And I think I figured as that as much. It just didn't make sense. Like she's in a guardhouse surrounded by guards mm-hmm. with you guys kind of barricaded in. It it felt too conspicuous for the lopper to do that. And he's not an idiot. 
Right. Like, he's a murderer, but he's not an idiot. He's Yeah, he's not going to be standing in this, like, little foyer with, you know, of course some of them are crooked kin, but for all intents and purposes, like, eight other PCs and be like, I'm going to start killing. Right. And, like, granted, he, the Lopper makes Eclipse way more powerful, but I don't feel like eight of us wailing on her, like would be a significant challenge. Oh, no, no. And I just felt like he has a self-preservation drive. He also has a drive not to go back to prison. Mm-hmm. But oh, that's fair. That makes sense. My angle was going to be that if Eclipse came to the Lopper, he would have taken over and just started massacring villagers because they are actually presenting a threat to the law and order of the town Mm -hmm. and the lopper feels like he could get away with that as a kind of self-defense. Yeah. And it would have inconvenienced you guys a lot with the trial. And it was just kind of like, yeah, that's perfect. He's just going to go out like eclipse is just going to go out there and start wailing on people with her ax. No thought given to non-lethal or any of that. So that's what I was thinking with that scenario. But had it happened, I was going to give Haley a little bit of say. And so had she decided, yeah, I want to dig the axe into Matumbe's back. <laughs> I had Sajira there who probably would have stepped in and tried to hold person or whatever. So I had them there because I didn't want to gimp you guys too hard on that piece. And because I knew that if Eclipse did that, there's a potential that she's just not a part of the party anymore. So it's almost like I wouldn't have expected a player death in the mob scene because right. it's, it's very it's kind of how you deal with the situation is how it's presented but essential an essential player death would have been a huge hindrance right before the trial so i kind of wanted to not give safeguards to not lose her because you would have but at least give you guys something so that hey we lost the clips but at least we could make this situation successful mitigate the situation whatever Sure. I mean, that makes sense to me. Like, you know, you know, you're not trying to sabotage the trial per se. Like you want to make it as challenging for us, but there are ways you could have played that. Like her just like attacking people. Like what if she just like killed Lyra? Right. Like, I mean, that, that, that would feel very much like you were just trying to put down our chances at succeeding at the trial. And I'm not saying that, like, that's never an option. It just, hear me out, listeners, it didn't seem like a good spot to do that. (laughs) Like, they're barricaded in a a jailhouse with 11 guards. It just didn't seem like the right place to have the lot. I mean, flip, flip, flip it on its head, right? We're all out in the swamp. There's four of us, you know, and and she fails that will save. Maybe it makes a lot more sense. Or maybe she waits and, like, says... Hey, Matumbe or Ikmer or whomever, I want to talk with you for a second. Let me pull right, you aside. Right. Like, it, again, going back to something you said five, ten minutes ago, the Lopper's not stupid. He's a killer, but he's not dumb. So, well, it's funny. The Lopper's whole background was that he was willing to wait. Yeah, right. Like, his whole thing was he would wait for days without, like, food uh-huh. in order to get the perfect moment to kill somebody. And even and even in our flashback, it was, tell me a story. I got time, right? I'm yeah. hiding here. Yeah, exactly. He, so, the Lopper could tank the trial, but we did succeed the trial. You did succeed. We the made trial. it. And now that 
we're finished. You know, I've wanted, we've talked about the trial in game. We've talked about the trial in zone of truths, but now that the trial is over and a verdict has been given, what gives man, what have you been keeping behind the screen that we haven't been a party to? How hard was this trial? How close did we succeed? Were you ready to, for us to fail? What's going on? I was ready for you to, oh, I, I was about 50-50 until you did so well with the, with the mob, and I'll tell you why. The Trial of the Beast, although we played it as a huge dramatic thing, and, and I love that, mm-hmm. you know, don't get me wrong, if it was a home game, I would have done it the same exact way, but in essence, it's a series of diplomacy checks. Every diplomacy check was a DC-20. So Lyra, every time she had to roll a diplomacy check, had to be a DC-20. What I added in was allowing you guys to aid her with other factoids. With, the, with Those were the relevant skills, your exactly. profession grave digger, exactly. your knowledge arcana, that kind of stuff. And that was mainly because I didn't want Emily to have to be like the only person contributing anything to the trial, although that's how it's supposed to be a run i guess if you have two diplomatic party members they could take turns or whatever but i can't see the one with a higher bonus not just taking over and doing it so i wanted to have that in so i added that in that's one thing i added the meat of the trial is that you need 15 successful diplomacy checks in order to prove the beast innocent if you kill nobody in in the crowd that night reduces to 12. If you kill less than five, it's the same. If you kill more than five, I think it's 18. Mm -hmm. And if you kill more than that, it's like impossible. Gotcha. So it, it scales up. It was really like, I can't, I can't read this until you guys deal with this. However, you're going to deal with it. That said, I did add a bunch of pieces of evidence, which you were able to present on. Mm -hmm. I still thought, you know, there was stuff you left out and stuff stuff I added in that you used as evidence, so I thought it was fine. At the end of the day, you guys were almost successful after day two of the trial. Really? You were very close. I think you were at, like, seven, and I just knew the sheer volume of, like, hey, you get a plus 20 bonus on this checks from yeah. the Vorkstag and Grind thing, like with the cabinet of skins and faces and the confession from Vorkstag or Grind, like give you an instant success on that diplomacy check. So I just knew with the sheer amount of those, you'd be okay. The The funny thing is, the Vorkstag and Grind piece is still something that like, you have to deduce and go there. It's It's not like brought up unless you succeed the checks at the at the relevant places like you succeed the check and find the bottle that has Vorkstag and Grind Kimmick Works and you put the pieces together and go over there to see what's going on what did you know about Dr. Brada or you follow the trail of the surgical tools or you repair the the um, ledger that Dr. Uh-huh. Brada had like those are your clues to Vorkstag and Grind. And without those, you could very well go through the entire trial and not go there. That blows my mind. And I guess it makes a little bit of sense. But, you know, we're primed as players. Day one, day two, but day three. Okay, go to Morast. 
Okay, go to this village. Okay, go to the asylum. It's it feels a little railroady, and not necessarily a terrible way. I mean, that's the way the trial is laid out. There are specific cases to investigate, mm-hmm. but you fall into that like meta trap of okay, I'm gonna do what the book tells me to. Okay, I'm gonna do what the book tells me to, and you fail a couple checks. You, I, I bet you roll into the riot and you roll into that third day of trial feeling like you got this thing in the books. And you don't. It's yeah. almost impossible without going to Vorsegan Grinds wow. to succeed the trial. You have to kill nobody and succeed almost all of your other checks, mm-hmm. which is very, very fucking hard. Now, the Vorsegan Grind thing, because it's such a smoking gun, it's like, Okay, almost everything from there counts as a diplomacy check and is at least a plus 10. Mm-hmm. And so you, I think you get at least five from just Forksag and Grinds, if not more. I mean, you got more from the from disguising the zombie monks, from, from kind of befriending them in a way, and that gave you an extra one. And, you know, there's, there's a bunch of stuff that happened that gave you extra ones, but... I don't think, like Plato's has written, it's very feasible to succeed at the Trial of the Beast without going to Vorksegan Grinds and finding the quote-unquote true true killer of most of the crimes. Yeah, and I I guess that kind of leaves me, and, and us too, I know there's some other folks around this table who feel a little in the dark because... If you take a look back and consider day two of the trial really just seems to be a case of a random wraith moving into town. Day three of the trial and a couple of the, the other crimes where they were setting up the beast, Vorkstag and Grine, they just said they wanted to make money. That's weird to me. And I know that obviously we've explored um, the, these Karl Marx connections and the beast's brother and his the beast's father where the goblin dog th- uh, not goblin dog you know what i'm saying yeah Go- the flesh golem flesh dog, golem dog yeah. came from so there's obviously a, a through line here but some of this seems a little convenient and i'm wondering if that's gonna this is a rhetorical question because you should not answer this but i'm wondering if some of that stuff's going to come back around either through the progression of the trial of the beast story as a book or maybe it really does dead end and we tie it up with some evil interlude stuff. I don't know. I mean, this is the only thing I'll give you. Do you remember in Vorkstag and Grinds when you got the ledger? Yep. And you get the two people that he's selling to? One of those names wasn't Orin Vrood, was it? What was the other one? Dr. Saloom. So that's the through line I'll give you. Next question. Since I, I feel like we're wrapping up Trial of the Beast here, or at least the Trial of the Beast, maybe not the book itself. Now you got a little ways to go still. You've been setting up this Dr. Vivian Malice reveal for a little while. Yeah, I have. Yeah. Why, why her? Why this book? And uh, who figured it out first, Griff? Um, you are the first to organically figure it out, although I have given... Emily, this heads up Mm -hmm. basically when we started book two. I want to tell the listeners when it happened, because I think this is important. We finished recording the episode where we found the baby manicores and the surgical tools in the tree 
We got done. We all kind of sat back. I think it was like a, a Friday because I remember we weren't like in any rush to get out. And I grabbed a notebook and just write and just wrote the tools belong to Dr. Malice and passed it to Griff. And he's like, you got it. And then everyone's like, you can't be doing that. You're passing notes and stuff. And I was like, notes in class. and I was like, I th- or actually, I don't think you confirmed it. I don't think you did in that moment. Because then I, I said to everybody, I think I figured something out. And I and if I did, I don't want it to be a spoiler to anybody who hasn't yet. Yeah. But then I know like Haley figured it out after a little while and Brooks never figured it out. Yeah. But he didn't know it. Yeah. <laughs> I love the end of that episode where he goes, I know it. And the entire table is like, no, you didn't. Yeah. Uh, the seeds of that were planted pretty early, if you remember. Mm-hmm. I mean, Dr. Saloom doesn't exist in Trial of the Beast, right? I added a second doctor very early on, mm-hmm. like when the when the investigation was described and always had her as missing. So obviously I've been planning that for a while. I I just think it's a perfect book for Viv. I mean it's all about like surgeons and alchemists and it 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 all seems to fit like yeah. there's Frankenstein monsters, a vivisectionist alchemist fits perfectly into this book. So I've obviously been sitting on it for a while and been trying to drop you guys tidbits. Like obviously Saloom is a Voldemort situation with malice, right? Tom Riddle, baby. Yeah. Uh, and just like the visions with Eclipse, like Eclipse gives me a lot of, I guess, free reign to insert stuff that's not in the book mm-hmm. with the into object the book very stuff. easily. Like yeah. like the whole seat, like that that back room in in Brada's basement didn't exist. Like I added it because Viv's in there and like that kind of thing. So um, yeah, I guess peek behind the screens. That's kind of how like. I'd like to work with what's there and I like to thematically pair stuff that's going to happen with stuff that we've kind of created. And I just felt the pairing was really good with Viv for this book. So I really wanted to bring her into it. And I, you know, I think I've said it a couple times and if I haven't, here it is. Like I'm really interested in bringing the evil party into the main campaign. So one way or another, yeah, folks are bound to seep in. I'm I'm really excited for that. I know um, because that opens up a whole a whole lot of questions, right? You know, the evil interlude have been party has been working in the background, you know, over ten years, but now Viv shows up. What happened in those ten years? I mean, we're obviously we're going to figure out, but you know, she's now known as Doctor Saloom. She is no longer Dr. Malice and doesn't seem to be working with the rest of the evil interlude party. What caused them to split ways? Have they all split ways? Are, are the other three of them off with somebody else? I don't know. I don't want our listeners to think that there is no stakes in the evil interludes because there are. Mm-hmm. But I will say... GMs out there, those of you that are trying to run something in the background, maybe on an alternate timeline, it's really good to get buy-in from all your players that all their characters want to become undead. (laughs) Because then you can do whatever the fuck you want. Yep. 
Emily does not have plot armor as Dr. Viv. No, no, she certainly doesn't. Like, I'll kill her uh, before October's over, maybe. <laughs> and then it's going to be uh, real fun yep. when, we get to, uh, when we get to the end of Trial of the Beast and she's got a template on. Man. I... <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, boy. What a blow to Emily that would be if you kill her off immediately. I know she loves playing Dr. Viv. What I'm really hoping for is for Dr. Viv to kill Lyra and then die. Oh, God. And then, like, Emily will stop playing with us forever. (laughs) (laughs) See, that would be the biggest blow because Emily Loki is MVP of this game. She She records all the equipment, takes all the notes, nails the trial, heals people in combat, organizes the drink polls. Definitely the support character. <laughs> She's pulling the weight, man. She's pulling the weight. Well, yeah, and she pulled the weight all trial. Got to give her props. That's why she got two hero cards. I know, I know, I know. Griff, is there anything you wanted to talk about? The riot, the big Dr. Malice reveal, or the trial of the beast, or should we keep moving? No, I think I'm all set. I mean, that's all I'm willing to divulge at this point. I feel like I've divulged a bit. And I feel like... We're going to wrap up our conversation today, do a couple days of recording, and three days after this drops, if people are listening with us, the whole game could change. Oh, yeah. I mean, it. who knows what's going to happen? I'm really excited. It's great. Landscape's going to change. I'm into it. I know. Anyway, let's talk about a spooky concert that we went to. Yeah, we did. So last week, uh, Brooks, you and myself went to the Wonder Years' third occasionally annual Halloween extravaganza. The Wonder Years is one of my favorite bands in the world. For those of you who don't know them, they play a flavor of pop punk that um, feels a little like emo influenced and is very... This sounds like a weird way to describe them. It's very tactile. They sing about very real things and have really good imagery. Um, But they were in town playing at the Newport Music Fest or the Music Hall. And uh, they were doing their Halloween show. Now, they've been a band for shit about a dozen years. And every once in a while, they will do these Halloween shows where... They show up in costume, play a set as a completely different band, and then come back out and then play a set as the Wonder Years. Which was really fun. (laughs) It was great. (laughs) So their openers were, uh, I don't remember exactly which bands were opening, but the first band we missed. However, they... Um, their first set was as Carly Rae Jepsen. Oh boy, I, I'm mad I missed I that. know, <laughs> we were too busy dr- pre-gaming at Brooks' apartment, <laughs> drinking just straight liquor before we got out there. And then the second band's first set was as Weezer, so we caught a little bit of that and that was a lot of fun. Um, but The Wonder Years came out as a, a band I never would have expected, Limp Biscuit, Which <laughs> was fucking hilarious. I think they nailed it so well. I, I, I didn't see it coming. Like they really blew me away with that reveal and they were very, I don't know. They, they were funny about it. Like, oh, yeah, he's like, yeah. remember in 1999 when we played Woodstock 99 and people <laughs> were ripping down trash. Um, it was great. So what did you think, Griff? Oh, I thought it was a great time, and I got to hear Rainy and Kyoto live, so yeah. that's uh, that's what I needed. That's just <laughs> what I needed. No, I had a lot of fun. I, 
I honestly thought the venue was pretty cool. I'm glad we got to uh, kind of scoot up to the railing there. Mm-hmm. I because being a relatively short guy, I got a nice view of yeah. the concert, which was cool. Uh, it's rare. It's rare for me. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I thought. I mean, I thought they killed it. I thought it was great. Yeah, they played a lot of their hits. I think with the Limp Biscuit uh, set in total, they played about 21 songs, um, really spanning their entire catalog. Unfortunately, with the Limp Biscuit set, that meant that like. They didn't play a lot of their like B sides or like back album tracks, so you didn't. And the Wonder Years are pretty well known for that. They'll play stuff that they haven't played in a dozen years or something um, for the for the for the real diehard fans. For the but, diehards. But you did get to hear a little bit of everything. I really hate when bands will go out and play and they'll do like a couple songs from their new record, a ton of songs from their like first record, and then nothing in between. You know how yeah, that kind of. I- I feel like I feel like a lot of times those mi- those middle year records get lost in live shows. Yeah, I I really like Metallica. I saw Metallica live a couple times, mm-hmm. and I feel like they're notorious for that. It's like they go on a tour for their new album. It's seven songs off the new album, of which like two are the good ones, right? Yeah. And then they completely miss everything but the Black Album, and they do the Black Album, and it's like. Well, fuck, like, yeah. I mean, give me, give me, give me a little bit of, uh, give me a little bit of the in-between. Give me St. Anger. Everybody hates that song. <laughs> I like that song. But you're not going to get that with the Wonder Years, man. They play the new songs. They play the old songs. They played a little of everything in between. Oh, no, they had a great yeah. diversity. I thought that was awesome. It was, a. Uh, it was a lot of their more popular stuff because of the altered uh, set list, but I think they did a they played a great range of what they did. They nailed it. I know we I was chatting in the car with Brooks afterwards, and like, was it just the two of us? Or towards the end of that concert, was that concert fucking loud? My ears were ringing the entire next day, and we were in like the back of the venue. Yeah, we were in the back. My ears were ringing for two days. Yeah, I rem- I remember distinctly. Cause I was a little hungover on Friday morning and I, I got the, the ear ringing once I finally like got in the car to go to work and I wasn't like doing shit in the morning. And I was just like, Oh, that's unfortunate. And then I went to work and you know, fortunately I listened to podcasts all day, but yeah. <laughs> before I put my headphones in, I was like, Oh God, it sounds like I've been like a ringing tube. Yeah. This is not great. And, and I heard it the next morning and I was like, fuck, did I really? They they say you're supposed to wear earbuds to concerts, and I think in my mid-20s, I'm going to start taking that advice because that was – I could tell I did some damage there. Yeah, at, at the cost of looking like a total utter jabroni, like I definitely agree with you. I need to start doing that. Well, my because... parents go to a, a concert like every other week, mm-hmm. and they both got each other these like – these special like – I don't know what they're, they're like semi noise canceling. They sure. like get the good shit and leave the bad shit out and don't hurt your ears so much. And they swear by them because they go to so many concerts now that they're empty nesters mm-hmm. that they just, they wear these things. They go to these concerts. They sit in the fucking front row and have a blast. And I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. Like, I don't want to go deaf either. Well, we should have your dad on again to tell us all about those earbuds. Oh, yeah, because apparently everyone thinks he has a sultry voice. Everyone getting fucking wet for your dad's voice. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, God. Um, but yeah, for all the reasons I said, I we, we're going to rate this experience. Oh, and we both got 
fucking sweet t-shirts. Oh yeah, those t-shirts are dope. I wore mine yesterday to the zoo. That's awesome. They're uh, every they have the Wonder Years have this little um, little mascot. He's a cartoon pigeon. I think they call him Hank the Pigeon. And basically, at all their live shows, they have like a new iteration of a Frank the Pigeon shirt. I've got a whole bunch of them. Just like a, he's just like on a shirt that's in a different color. Yeah, look at that's any all. any of our probably almost ninety percent of our uh, episode pictures on Instagram, and you'll find Steve in a Frank the Pigeon shirt. <laughs> he wears them all the fucking time. <laughs> but for the Halloween uh, tour, they had the shirt. It has all the tour dates down the back. Of course, uh, the Columbus one was the first one, so that was cool. Yeah, boy. Um, but on the front, they have Hank the Pigeon, but it's his, like, skeleton. So it's, like, kind of cute. I like it. And spooky. But... And spooky. But we need to rate this experience, Griffin, because what else are we doing if we're just going to shoot the shit about a concert? Oh, yeah, we need to rate right. it for the listeners at home. So, like you alluded to earlier, your favorite Wonder Years song, and it's definitely in my top five, is a song off their new record, Sister Cities, called Raining in Kyoto. And so I want to rate this experience based off of days in the forecast that it is raining in Kyoto on the five-day forecast. Now imagine you just got off the plane. Looking forward to my vacation in Kyoto. Yep. You've got word that your grandfather passed away back home. God damn it. It's time to go to a Shinto shrine. And you reach in your pocket and you find a small paper crane. And then you take out your phone and check the weather forecast. I mean, I think it's raining all week. Fuck yeah, baby. I thought it was really good. I had, I had a really fun time. I mean, aside from like, I had the same feeling as you that it got really loud at the end there. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it's a fucking concert. What do you yeah. expect? And I just thought, I love Halloween theme shit. The Halloween theme concert was so fucking fun. Like that was just, it's... the. It's one thing to do a cover. It's a quite another thing to come out dressed as all of the members of that the cover you're doing's band and fucking pull it off very flawlessly. Yep. It was really cool. I had a great time. And it's not just because The Wonder Years is one of my favorite bands in the world. I'm also going to give this 5 days of rain in the forecast out of 5. For everybody listening at home, check out the Wonder Years. I mean, we're not sponsored by them. Why would we ever be? Um Well, they're from our, they're from my hometown. They're from Philly, yeah. Um Listen to the song Raining in Kyoto. It's fucking great. And uh, I don't know. Wear your protection. Wear your protection. Wear protection, folks. Yeah. We're big proponents of wearing protection here at the Hideous Laughter Podcast. So. Speak for yourself. <laughs> Got him. Okay. <laughs> That's enough of that. Griffin, I thought since we were getting together just the two of us for this very special Halloween week episode of the zone of truth that the two of us should revisit something that weirdly naturally happened the first time we got together and did one of these, just the two of us. Now I'm sure you remember on that very first episode of the zone of truth where the two of us were starting to talk about where our influences for horror movies came from and just the horror genre in general. Yeah. And we both kind of unknowingly stumbled across a uh, deep-seated childhood fear of Scooby-Doo on Zombie Island. Oh, yeah, baby. (laughs) 
So Scooby-Doo and Zombie Island is the very first direct-to-video Scooby-Doo movie. And it's a little unique from the rest of the Scooby-Doo franchise in that in that, uh, in that adventure that the gang goes on, the monsters are real. It's real zombies, and there are real werecats that the gang has to fight. That really fucked me up as a kid. Oh, yeah. I, I saw it maybe a little too young. I was waiting for the mask reveal. It didn't never happen. Never happened. And I had nightmares for a very long time. I mean, they turned to fucking bones and dust. Yeah, it's exactly as they as they vanquish these cat people, they go out in like a really weirdly gruesome way. And zombies were always scary for me. So that didn't help at all. This is before the zombie craze, folks. Some would say Scooby-Doo started it. I would say. <laughs> yeah, what's The Walking Dead anyway? <laughs> it's just Scooby-Doo with more steps. <laughs> but anyway, a couple months ago, I caught wind that the Scooby-Doo franchise was going to return to Zombie Island, and I texted Griffin immediately, and I said, dude, we gotta watch this for the Zone of Truth. And as we were trying to plan out our Halloween episode, what better time than to review this movie? I mean, there's not one. All right. So let me let me lay some facts out on you, Griffin, before we really jump into this. Do it. Okay. So remember when I said that Zombie Island was the first direct-to-video yep. Scooby-Doo movie? Yeah. Yep. Scooby-Doo Return to Zombie Island is the 33rd direct-to-video Scooby-Doo movie. That's at least two per year, right? Oh, yeah. Zombie yeah, Island definitely. came out like when we were like 11 or 12, right? I, I think so, yeah. yeah. I think so. Um, but also, now you may not know this, but somehow <laughs> Return to Zombie Island is a sequel to Scooby-Doo and WWE Curse of the Speed Demon, which in itself is the sequel to Scooby-Doo WrestleMania Mystery. I have no clue how this... I've seen the movie. Of course, I haven't seen the WWE ones, but I have no idea how this is the third part in a trilogy I of actually, WrestleMania. I actually have an idea, and I'll, I'll get to I'll get to that. Okay. So now that I've kind of laid those out, could you give me a tight synopsis of Scooby-Doo Return to Zombie Island? And I'm like, obviously, we're just going to spoil this movie for everybody. So if you don't want to get this spoiled for you, I don't know, go listen to another podcast or something. If, you, if you're coming somewhere and not expecting Scooby-Doo spoilers. If you're coming into the Zone of Truth 19 and have not watched Scooby-Doo Return to Zombie Island, well, <laughs> put it you on. do your homework. Put you it on. Do your homework. Put it on. We'll wait. So, Scooby-Doo Return to Zombie Island. What can I say besides that it starts in the way that is classic for the Scooby-Doo made-for-TV slash real action, live action Scooby-Doo movies in that the band is unincorporated. They are no longer together solving mysteries. In fact, and this comes up a lot in the movie, Freddy, my boy Freddy, has sold the mystery machine. That is how serious they are about closing down Mystery Inc. They are all bound I think by a blood oath, but really it's just a promise to Scooby and Shaggy that they will stop trying to solve mysteries. Because Scooby and Shaggy are oftentimes bait yes. in solving those yes, mysteries. Yes, they are. They are endangered. Villain bait, as it yes. were. And so they made this promise, and 
that that's kind of a constant thread through at least the first part of the movie that they've made this promise and they're not willing to look into mysteries until Scoobert and Shaggy get well they win a contest to go on vacation for weirdly like not even a full day if you think about it like they got there in the middle of the afternoon they're like well the ferry leaves at dusk tomorrow it is an 18 hour vacation <laughs> which in classic cartoon fashion Scooby and Shaggy like are dressed out in their luau gear to go to oh yeah so they realize start stuff starts to get a little bit weird when they head to this tropical vacation but it kind of seems like it's in a mangrove swamp and they reach their resort which is known as moon star island mm. those of you who have watched the first one know that the island they did their investigations on where they find the cat folk and the zombies is moon scar island and one at, letter away and at that point the gang drops what can only be described as a 50-pound anvil of exposition. Oh, yeah, they <laughs> recap the entirety of the other movie in which, uh, like, Scooby the entire time is, we were rare. Like, we know what happened. Yeah, I know. They're like, and then the cat people, it's, yeah, I know. Yeah, I we were rare. there. Which I thought was funny. Yeah, that, at least like, they broke it up. It that. was very self-aware that like, we don't think that a lot of people have seen the first one. So we're about <laughs> to drop. a long time ago. And yep. Those children are no longer children. <laughs> unless they're watching this, in which case we can still describe them as children. <laughs> yep. So they're on the island. Zombies begin to attack. There are hints at... What are they, werecats? Is that, oh, yeah. is that the proper term? Werecats? There are hints of werecats on the island. The um the more intelligent of the tree or of the what's it? Of the five, mm -hmm. uh the trio of Daphne, Velma, and Freddy are not willing to break their promise to Scooby and Shaggy, despite Scooby and Shaggy seeing zombies. And so we go through a little bit of back and forth where they're kind of pretending nothing's happening on the island, but stuff's happening. Zombies attack. Freddy does one of his patented traps, and they find out that they're actually on a movie set. Somebody has decided to film them, and the director character is weirdly vocal the entire yeah. time about how hard it is to be a director. He, like, <laughs> is just throwing shade at the industry. He's throwing shade at his job. Like, I really feel like the screenwriter-director here heads, not please. Like, doesn't like his job. It was uh, it's definitely another through line. And it doesn't let up. No, it doesn't let up for a second. Going. So... So they realize that the movie part has just been the zombie stuff and the werecat stuff was not planned in the movie. So they think something's up. And then Scooby and Shaggy, or no, yes, Scooby and Shaggy release the rest of the crew from their promise. They say, please solve this mystery. And Freddy says, hey gang, looks like we got another mystery to solve. Bam. They're back in. Mystery Incorporated, reincorporated. Bam. So they 
try to, I mean, they, they do a lot of chase scenes. They find out that the werecats are actually people, except for one, which remains a mystery. But they were looking for Captain Morgan's treasure, which was kind of the point of the first one, right? Like, yeah. He was a pirate that hid his treasure on the island. I think it was Captain Moonscar. Or Moons. Yeah, it was Captain yeah. Moonscar. Yeah, I'm thinking Captain Morgan got it on the brain. <laughs> Jesus Christ. So, so that's kind of like it was very much a hey, we're taking the masks off of this story, even though last time it was a kind of full fledged supernatural story. Mm-hmm. But it left that little inkling of like there was one werecat that never got unmasked that was still roaming the island that was kind of an unknown. So he's like kind of like the Sawmoon Isle of the team. Yeah, I guess you could say that. Yeah. Except he was he had more than twenty rounds pan- of rage. He was a panther. He had more than twenty rounds of rage. Yeah. But enough about all that fluff. What's the story really about? Oh. The story takes a much deeper meaning because we follow the journey of a boy and his van. Freddy, selling the van, has these like weird dreams and visions about having the mystery machine back. And this takes this movie from like a three star film to like a five and a half. The van flashbacks are so satisfying and fun and ridiculous. I fucking love it. It was beautiful. I mean, you just, you never know how much a man could care about his van until you watch Return to Zombie Island. Because it was intense. It got intense. Like, he was having hallucinations, it felt like. I mean, he went into, he, he jumped onto a burning ferry. All right, so this is important. Freddy has a stunt double in the movie because it's, it is a movie. And that stunt double had like built or bought a replica mystery machine that had like fucking big ass tires on it, like monster truck tires. And it was on a ferry that was burning and sinking into the swamp. And Fred has this moment where he says, where he says something to the effect of not again, I won't let another one go. And it has this <laughs> absurd, like, Sylvester Stallone movie action hero moment where he like runs through this burning dock, jumps onto a burning ferry, slides down the incline. As sinking. As it's sinking on fire, jumps into the van and ramps the van out of the burning ferry. And I was almost crying with laughter. It was fucking great. Dude, the van scenes just had me the entire time. Like, I don't even care what else is in the movie. It was just... Freddy and the mystery machine the entire time. There was, a, there was one point where Fred's stunt double was showing up with the van. He comes flying out of like the swamp and it cuts from, it cuts between everybody's face in the gang and everyone has this like questioning look and then it cuts to Fred and he just has this look of pure joy seeing the mystery machine. It's like the, that that's my fetish uh, meme. Yes. <laughs> like everybody in the, in mystery incorporated is just like looking on in horror <laughs> and Freddie's just smiling. Oh yeah. I mean, was it, was it as scary as the original? I don't know. I'm about 20 years older. I don't. So, I don't think it was. So probably not. Especially since you know, very early on, it's revealed that most of it is uh, costumes fake, and yeah. fake and all that. Um, 
But I'm, I'm going to be straight with the listening audience here. I walked into this movie, to, you know, expecting to do this as a bit because I thought this would be funny to do because I like kitschy, stupid stuff. But I actually really enjoyed myself watching this movie made for children. Did it, like, scratch the nostalgia itch that I have for the original? No, not at all. But it brought a lot of really fun things to the table that I wasn't expecting, and I really enjoyed it in that different way. I feel like it was a lot more self-aware than I than I expected. Yeah. It was... It, I And I don't know, because I haven't seen a lot of the, you know, 31 movies in between. <laughs> but it just... It felt like they had, like, we realize this is a sequel where, you know, we're doing this in in the vein of, like, kind of making fun of ourselves for doing it. And it was, I thought it was, like, it was pretty funny for, for a kid Scooby-Doo movie, especially, like, being a, you know, in my 20s man that is watching it because I watched the other one when I was 12. Yeah, I think it held up. I thought it was great. Um, but we got to rate it. And I've I've thought about this. What's the scale, baby? All right. So early on in the movie, they're in a passenger van. And Fred is just sad. And he he turns to the driver and says, this is a terrible van. I can't believe that moment was uttered in the movie, by the way. This is a terrible van. Does she even have a name? Yep. (laughs) So he says, this is a terrible van. It doesn't have flashy colors. It doesn't have uh, flower decals, and it doesn't have a name on the side. So I think that's our one to three scale. You have terrible van. Fuck. I guess that's a one to five scale. You have a terrible van at one. You have a terrible van with flashy colors, then a terrible van with flashy colors and flower decals, then a terrible van with those two things. I don't want to say again, but with a name on the side and then the mystery machine. Dude, full on mystery machine. Full on mystery I machine. Absolutely. Uh, this movie is fucking great. great. Plus, it's super short. Like, it's just, it's a fun. Oh yeah, it's like seventy minutes. Like, yeah. at that, I, I don't know that I want it anymore. Like, no, I no, I, did, it. I didn't want uh, what the the only strike I can give it is that I was still hoping it was going to be like the the supernatural Scooby Doo. Like, I was still kind of, I didn't want them to turn it into oh hey we figured out this was all smoke and mirrors because i like that aspect yeah. of the first one that it was just never solved and they kind of reference that a couple times in the movie like this is our one unsolved thing i yeah and i think that's kind of paints them in a corner right where if they're gonna make a true sequel to the original it's tough to just how because it could end up just being the same thing over again they go there there's some ghost pirates there's werecats there's zombies it's all real and we're moving on to the next direct-to-video movie. And this, they were like, okay, we realize we can't do exactly that. We got to change it up a little bit. Let's throw this new twist of the of the movie in there, which I thought was kind of fun. And then also take a wink at the audience saying, yeah, maybe it was all real anyway with the uh, Saw Tiger running around. He is Moon Isle after all. It's not Moon Scar. But, you know, I'll talk to them later. Um, but... Yeah, you're right. I I wish I wish it was real. I get why it's not. Yeah, no, you're totally right. You're totally right. I just I like that part of the movie from my childhood that kind of 
I mean, years and years later has still stood up as the only time they did the true supernatural thing. Mm-hmm. And I like the integrity of that. So I was hoping they'd, they'd and they did keep it in a way, yeah. but I was hoping they'd just keep that. So do you think Scooby and Shaggy individually could eat 42 sandwiches in 42 seconds? Like they said in the show. I think they did in the show, didn't they? Did they eat I saw Shaggy in a Lovecraftian nightmare animation detach his jaw. Oh, yeah, that happened. dropped to about his What did he crotch. won the contest? It was terrifying. See, I thought your rating scale was going to be 1 to 42 sandwiches eaten in 42 seconds. <laughs> it actually was. <laughs> That's it, It's funny that you picked that up because it, that actually was my scale until they did the van thing. Yeah. And I was like, I have to. got to base it on the van. I got to do the van. But of course, with knowing how much we need to get through tonight, it's question time, baby. Are we running short on time? We, I mean, you tell me. It takes me about 45 <laughs> minutes to get home now with the uh, recent highway closures. And oh, it is almost 10 o'clock and I have to go to work tomorrow. So yeah, we're almost out of time. Anyway, I put this question out to the entirety of our Discord community. I said, hey, Griff and I are going to do a special Halloween episode of The Zone of Truth. What questions do you have for us? And the community freaking responded. So I'm going to say right off the rip, we're going to get through a lot of questions tonight. It's going to be lightning round-esque. However, we can't get through them all. I mean, we got like 30 questions. It's not happening. Yeah, yeah. We did get a lot. And thank you guys for submitting those. I'm not saying they won't ever get answered, by the way. Exactly. So if you don't hear your question tonight, we'll get to it at another point. Of course we will. I I bank all of those questions. We got a lot of stuff to talk about and not a lot of time to do it. So first and foremost, the very first question I got back after I posted our little prompt was from our buddy Hydro Flare. He asked, how and why has your life been turned into a horror movie? (laughs) Griff and I have the exact same answer. Yeah, man. So Griff. My life has been turned into a horror movie, at least for this October, because between the prepping and the recording and the releasing and the recording and the prepping and the two campaigns and the... And the post-editing yep. and the zone of truth, that's stuff. Just drunk <laughs> and disorderly. Yeah, I feel like October is not a very free month for me, which unfortunately... Because it's one of my favorite times of the year, um, you know, is challenging, but we're getting through it. It's a very like monkey paw situation or um, getting wishes granted by the devil kind of thing. Like, oh, you love putting on a podcast? Well, how about you only put on a podcast? And this is kind of hyperbolic you know, BSing. We love what we do, but oh yeah. Yeah. If I had to tell you why my life has become a horror movie, it's because I have to do what I love all the time. Well, you know why my life's a horror movie? Why? Cause I have to do what I love all the time mm-hmm. and I still got to wake up and go to work for, uh, yeah, you're right. You're <laughs> going right. to work for 10 hours a day. <laughs> I mean, we're all going to work like 40 hours this week. Easy <laughs> at least. And still have to do everything else that we have to do. Yeah, that's the that's the one downside, I think. I mean, if I on a free month, yeah, Maybe. yeah, 
it, October wouldn't bother me at all. November is going to be fucking great. No, well, we got Thanksgiving, so oh, <laughs> we have to bank episodes for that, don't we? Yeah, probably. It's on, it's on a Thursday every year, bitch. All right. Well, that's a bummer. <laughs> okay, uh, we're going to try and move through these relatively fast. So the next one comes from Bear Eclair. What famous horror or slasher villain would you pick to gruesomely butcher the good party one by one? Griff. Why do you think they'd stack up against those heroes? You want me to go for it? I don't ha- I can't answer this one. It's for you. All right. <laughs> you guys might Well, it's Cujo. Cujo is my answer to this one. Why in the world did you pick Cujo? Okay, I picked Cujo because of the amount of trouble you guys had with the beast ha- uh, the golem the flesh golem hound. Mhm. And because I know my players and you are all animal lovers and it would break your itty bitty hearts to have oh, to kill. not me. Well, okay. But everybody else. I feel no love. It would break their hearts to have to kill like a rabid dog enemy. And. Oh, that w- I feel like that would just shatter Ikmer. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's like, it's not the dog's fault really. And it's like, you know. And I, I just think it would it would be perfect because you guys A suck at killing dogs as we've seen in in the history of the show and and B, I think it would it would fuck with you guys as uh as people. So I'm going Cujo. It's <laughs> a good meta answer. I kinda like that. That's pretty good. Next question. This comes from our good friend Exabicarial. Is Jigsaw from the Saw franchise just Kevin McAllister all grown up? Tell me. I think you can think of, you can definitely think about this in a couple of ways. There are definitely similarities between the two, mm-hmm. right? I mean, they both kind of make you go through a puzzle of sorts to get to the prize. One's prize is life. The other's prize is stealing all of the stuff in your house or beating the shit out of you in Home Alone 2. What? They they really just had it up for Kevin and Home Alone too for the most part. Yeah, but the Jigsaw Killer is from a different franchise. They're not the ones doing it. I was thinking Jigsaw from Saw. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking too. Oh no, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I'm just thinking like it's in the same vein. They're both well, setting up a yeah. We're yeah. I think we're on the same page. We're they're the same both page. setting yeah. up a. They're both setting up like a puzzle for you to get through. Almost, it's like there's traps, and for Jigsaw, it's more. Are they able to solve the puzzle for Kevin? It's more, I'm hoping that it's good enough for them not to, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And I I think it's it's plausible, but I just think Kevin's just a very smart kid in those movies. And I feel like he'd, he'd grow up to be one of those nerds that like makes his breakfast with a Rube Goldberg machine more so than he'd become like Jigsaw. Yeah. And I mean- Everybody knows that the Jigsaw Killer, a.k.a. John Kramer, um, ran a, or rather was a civil engineer who had colon cancer, which developed a tumor in his brain. And his wife, Jill, was pregnant in Saw 4, which was which kind of, you know, showed the, the backstory there. And there was a junkie, Cecil, who was also with the to be future protege of Jigsaw, Amanda, 
robbing the methadone clinic clinic late at night, and they opened a door very fast that hit Jill in the pregnant stomach, aborting, by accident, John and Jill's child, leading to him trying to kill Cecil. And then, you know, he gets brain cancer and wants to uh, have others cherish their lives. So uh, I don't think they're the same. No. No, I mean... Although I would love to see Joe Pesci in a Saw movie. Oh, dear God. <laughs> also, I've seen the Saw movies like eight times through. I love those movies. Oh, no, nobody could tell. <laughs> they played it off real smooth. Yep. I really like them. The first two are like legitimately very good horror movies, and then they just get fun. <laughs> and then they're just gore and how how far can we go with traps? Yeah, I think three and four are pretty good, too. Um which one was the rib cage ripping open? One? That was three. Was that three. Yeah, that was three with the cop. And that was Amanda doing the traps and they were inescapable. She had to dunk her hand in acid and the key was dissolving and there was no way she could get out because it already tied behind her ribs. Stupid Amanda. I know. Amanda's just fucking it up for everybody. But we got to keep moving on. I can't talk about Saul all day. Just kidding. I could, but I got to go home. So... The Lopper, a.k.a. Alex, asks us, how would you build a serial killer vigilante NPC? Which serial killer would you base it on? What horror movie antagonist would you most want to use against a party? I feel like we kind of got that horror movie antagonist already. So let's just focus on the first half of this one, right? Sure. Yeah. Okay. So I don't really have an answer to this question, but... I will counter it with something that I hope fulfills the needs of the people who are listening. My backup character for Matumbe once upon a time was a serial killer vigilante PC. I told Griffin that probably even before we started the show, if not soon after that, I wanted to build a serial killer. And I think now that the evil interlude is such a big part of our show and uh, we're playing a bunch of evil PCs. It'd be a little bit of like a hat on a hat. Like we really don't need it. Right. What we need is more level thinking PCs who are not crazy. Um, I think, you know, that could quite tip us too far over. It's just not needed at this point. So I have a backup character. It's not that, but I did want to make a serial killer PC who hung out with the, with the party for a while and then either wanted to try to kill one of the other PCs or one of the NPCs like Kendra or somebody that they were hanging out with. I was really excited about it, but I scrapped the concept because it's just not necessary anymore. I feel like too much. Yeah. I'm not a expert on building a vigilante, mm-hmm. uh, especially of the serial killer subtype because yeah. it's just so niche. And honestly, like this would be one of the only campaigns you could probably pull it off in or, or like an all evil, like the completely evil party. Like you could probably do one in the evil interlude mm-hmm. if you wanted to, but so I don't really know how to, how to build a serial killer vigilante per se. I kind of read it and it seemed like one of those archetypes that, might be very well suited to building an NPC, not necessarily a PC. Like it's well, got some very specific quirky rules. You get that a lot out of the horror adventures book, mm-hmm. which it's from and which you guys have kind of taken a shine to with a lot of your 
character archetypes, but it's an archetype that, for the most part, is supposed to be relegated to the GM that is just available so that you can make, I don't know, like a big bag bad or a mini boss or something that has a social persona that doesn't alert the party to who he really is. Uh, because vigilantes are great at doing that because they can change their alignment between personas and that kind of thing. But if I were to build one, what I would base it on, non-mechanically, but just the kind of character I want it, I would want it to be, There's, uh, there was a famous murderer in New Orleans known as the Axe Man that, that killed people with an axe hence the name. And he was very interesting because he alerted the public to basically it was long enough ago where you couldn't really trace him back using internet or any of that stuff. I feel like it was in the 1920s or something, something back then. And so we would alert the media outlets about, you know, Hey, I'm going to kill somebody tomorrow, but he would do it with a caveat that if your house was playing jazz music in it that night, he wouldn't target the house. And it got the city of New Orleans to like play jazz in every house for a couple of nights to, and, and there were no murders those nights because he would leave those houses alone. So I think a really fun way to play that kind of character is to make a character similar to the ax man in, in that like wherever you're, at wherever your party is at he's issuing these threats that are kind of like maybe maybe furthering his agenda or or doing something to, that's just quirky about your character like the axe man really liked jazz music he wanted to walk down the streets and hear jazz music that's why he did that and so like a character like that I think is is super flavorful to to bring to a TTRPG without just being the single-minded serial killer character that I think a lot of people building a vigil a serial killer vigilante are going to go for. Yeah, you got to have that calling card, that quirk, something interesting about that that vigilante NPC. Um or else he's just a killer and that's not fun or cool. Well, it's a fun through line you could do between the between the personas of the mm-hmm. vigilante. Like in this case, maybe the the persona really likes jazz too, and yeah. it's just like a, it's a thing could that clue has you in, common. yeah, yeah. And I guess that's the fun thing about hypothesizing a serial killer NPC. You could have somebody like Audivion or Kendra or like Barrister Koppel who maintain this one persona. And a serial, I'm sorry, a vigilante's disguise check to stay in character is so absurdly high. It's almost, I would say it's almost impossible for equivalent level PCs to pick up on. I mean, it's, it's like a plus 25. Yes, it's difficult for anyone to pick up on. So you could have like a character like that be legitimately helping the PCs out for a very long time before snatching somebody away or doing something and yeah having those little quirks those little cues i think would be very awesome for a cool story like i like that you brought up barrister Koppel actually because i think that would be a really fun 
person. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you know, this isn't something I've planned or am planning to do, but like someone that has an extreme characteristic, like yeah. Barrister Koppel stutters and having him, his alternate persona, like doesn't. Or yeah, you could have that alternate persona that does and is like enraged when people recognize that in him kind of a thing. Like yeah. I'm mad about their weakness. Yeah, you could really something. go you could really yeah. go both ways with it. Um so I, I will we do this on the show? No. Maybe. I don't know. I'm not running the show. But it'd be fun. <laughs> Good ideas. Um, we're going to keep it moving, though, because we still do have some stuff to get through. Another one from our friend Hydroflare. Seriously, though, if the five of you were in a horror film, who dies first and who makes it till the end? Brooks dies first. Emily makes it to the end. Yeah. 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 I figured the girls would probably make it. I feel like you got to have one female casualty, man. You think? Yeah, I think so. I think that's pretty ho- like horror standard. Maybe. It's I like think, one guy and one girl makes it to the end and maybe the guy dies. Yeah, I think uh, whichever one of us was actually the killer makes it to the end. All right. And that brings us to our next question. Exabocario, if the five of you were in a slasher movie, which one is secretly the killer and why is it Steve? Well, it would be me and I just have no emotions. So I don't highly value human life at all. I think Haley would be the killer. I could see it. Yeah, I could see Haley Honestly, being I, the killer too. I could make a fairly decent case for almost anybody. Yeah, we're all a little fucked up. Yeah, Haley could do it. Emily can certainly channel the like grad student Dr. Viv thing. I mean, she does it well enough anyway. Um, again, I don't really value human life. So that's that. Um, Brooks is a wild man who you can, you have no, never no idea never what know. he's going to do. Um, <laughs> and you've been driven mad by the four of us. Yeah. So. Yeah. So could go uh, one of five ways <laughs> realistically. Yeah. I like that. Um, another one from the Whopper, Alex, how many people would a were tiger eat on a bad night? I think first we have to come to a consensus on a bad night. Yeah, that's true. Like it's a bad night when, I mean, cause a bad night could be that saw has a stomach ache from eating a bunch of people the night before mm-hmm. that might be a bad night or, yeah. or a bad night could be like, he just didn't, you know, he's in the middle of the woods. There's not a lot of people there or, uh, bad night could be like he's just moody and emo like he usually is. And yeah. I don't know. I, I'm I'm thinking strictly saw. I guess a, a were tiger in general is probably a little different. Well, I want to. This led me down a, a fun thought experiment. And I thought a lot about the same kind of thing as that you did. I, you know, if I just had to answer, eh, three or four. But I looked at my character's sheet and I was like, not how many people could I eat in one night, but how many people could i kill in one night oh yeah so So you went to the villager stat block yes so i ran the numbers here and i'm gonna redo this on my phone right now with my calculator just hear me out on this one so saw can attack twice in one round with his regular weapon once with his bite attack and once with his gore that's one round there are 10 rounds in a minute and then there are 60 minutes in an hour if a night is eight hours long he can do four attacks per round so that is uh, four times 10 for a minute times 60 times eight. He could do, he could, 
could hurt 19,200 people. And then every time he gets hit, he does piercing damage. I have 105 hit points right now, so I could conceivably get one hit for one point of damage 104 times. So in eight hours, Saw could conceivably kill 19,304 people. If they were all just pushed at him. <laughs> yes. like, on of course, that makes a lot of assumptions that like bodies disappear when you kill them and like no one does more than one point of damage and everybody dies in one hit, but, uh, and he hits every time, but you can do that. Well, I learned at the zoo the other day that a tiger conservatively eats, uh, 10 times what a human eats. Okay. And so if you do the math, Mm -hmm. I don't realistically think it's more than one big dude. I guess that makes sense. Yeah. Because it's, it's just, Again, if we're going off of the eating principle, what what person is eating more than like um, a pound or two? Yeah, like Not two pounds lot. of food a day, yeah. right? So that's twenty. Like, yeah. I mean, you just get full, even as a even yeah, a like tiger a leg form. or something. Yeah, I yeah. I mean, how many people could they turn a ton mm-hmm. just by you know the the bite, but. Eating an entire person, I feel like, takes even even more than a day for a were-tiger, likely. Yeah. And maybe just the 20 pounds of flesh are the good 20 pounds of flesh. You might not well, yeah, I don't, I don't really know what the good 20 pounds of flesh are on a person. I imagine you avoid the giblets. Yeah. All right, uh, the Lompers. So your answer is either 19,304 or one. <laughs> That's a pretty wide range. <laughs> That's probably. a pretty wide range. Moving on, we got another one from Bear Claire. If you as children all went trick-or-treating together in an alternate timeline, who of you would fall for Nana Opal's tricks and get eaten? Oh, man. Ooh, that's a good one. I definitely would. I trusted adults a lot as a kid. I would probably eat the cookie. I wouldn't, yeah, I wouldn't, but I don't like, know get if into like, the house yeah, I don't know if something. I'd go into the house. But if the cookie was, like, a morphine cookie, I'd just, I'd eat the cookie and pass out. Until maybe it was, geez, when was it that people started putting razor blades in the in the Halloween candy? It was around that time that I, I was, was like, I won't eat yeah. anything unwrapped. Exactly. Because I, I remember being very young and like dumping all my candy out on the table and sorting through it with, with my brother and the rest of the family. So maybe that was a little bit before our time. So I guess it's either uh, zero or all five of us. Yeah, I don't really know about the rest of the group. I mean, if you shrink Haley down, I don't know if you factor in the fact that she got celiac disease. When did like she get two that? years ago? Yeah, so like, so she like still eating them right? But it, yeah. but if you're just like taking us and then bringing us back as children that have the same compunctions, I guess like Haley probably wouldn't eat the cookie because she has celiacs. Well, yeah, but she didn't have it when she was a kid. Well, right, right. I'm just, I'm, I'm doing semantics here. I'm trying mm-hmm. to think of a, yeah, I guess trying to true. do a thought experiment here, Steve. So maybe, yeah, she doesn't eat it. I'm trying to think of yeah. some of us that might survive. I think maybe both the girls, like they're pretty smart. Me and Brooks would eat the cookies. Oh yeah, dude, we'd eat the cookies. I've seen Brooks consume some shit that like maybe you shouldn't. It's questionable. Yeah. yeah. And you and I had like. 20 White Castle sliders that one night, so. The absolute hubris (laughs) that I I thought at 2 in the morning, the two of us could take down 30 jalapeno cheese sliders. Hubris. Childish. 
go ahead and add us if you want to hear the rest of the story <laughs> or hear how it turns out. It ain't good. Yep. I think uh, Haley was crying laughing at how poorly we performed. Oh, I was feeling bad like the minute after we stopped eating. It was a terrible decision. <laughs> but that's not... Nana Opal cookies might be the same way. Like, you probably feel pretty shitty yeah. after you have one that, like... Or really good. Well, it depends. I mean, yeah. one might make you feel like your eyes left your body, and the other one might make you uh, comfortably numb. Considering that Haley likes to roll percentiles to see what cookie people actually pulled, who <laughs> fucking knows? <laughs> that is pretty funny. I love that she does that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. BP hashtag Florida man fucks back. I think that's bipolar pop tarts though. I think it is. Got a lot of questions about that name. What elements of a horror movie slash game take it from just good to amazing? And then he has another question after that, that we'll address in a second. What elements do you really like in a horror movie or video game? I think you and I kind of agree on the, and, and a lot of people that, that actually like consume horror movies a lot prefer the, the absence of the jump scare and hyper gore. Yes. Yeah. I mean, they're they're for me, jump scare bugs me all the time. Cause it always gets me. I just like, I'll, I'll zonk out to a movie and it'll get me every time yeah. instead of me just like, you know, doing other shit while I'm watching and not being affected by it. Uh, the gore doesn't bug me. I think it has its place. Like I like the gore in like a Rob Zombie movie. Yeah. Uh, because, because I think it's like a spectacle at that point. I'll, I'll tell anybody listening right now that weirdly Midsummer has my favorite gore in a movie of all time. It's like a very brightly lit movie and they have these nasty, nasty gore shots that don't feel like exploitive it doesn't feel like, ooh, look what we can get away with. It's just like very out in the open grossness that puts a big exclamation part mark on the bad things that are happening that yeah. should really be tripping up the people that are stuck in this like weird, creepy um, community. And I think when you use gore like that, it can really drive a point home. But then there's some other movies that it's just like we have a paper thin plot with nothing else to write home about we're just gonna show you some boobs and like some limbs torn off to get a cheap gag out of ya and like I'll get drunk and watch one of those movies and have a decent enough time but that's not what I look for I like I like something that's that's a little moodier something that has a more of an abstract concept to it, like Midsummer or Hereditary. It follows the Babadook things that um, kind of have a message behind the horror. It's not yeah. just like torture porn for torture porn's sake, which oh, it has a place in my heart, but um, I got to have some substance, you know, something, something to make me think. Yeah, I think one of the big things for me is that I really like I, I don't enjoy the subversion of expectations for the sake of it, mm -hmm. but I do enjoy the fresh takes yeah. on on a genre, which I feel like you get a lot more with kind of the more indie horror type movies. I always I always enjoy like the first of a genre and then the hey, five years after it's been done. 
people actually start like taking a look at it and kind of flip, not flipping it on its head per se, but giving it a new twist for, for example, like the, the shake cam thing Mm -hmm. coming out of like the Blair witch project, which is a good movie. I mean, it's, it's, it's a good horror movie and it's the first of its kind, but then you get something like a Cloverfield where they just overdo it. And if you can like bring it back into something that's a bit different with that same concept, like maybe a shake cam with a regular cam existing Mm -hmm. simultaneously, it, it makes it interesting. So there's, I can't, I can't pin down a movie right away, but I know I absolutely can. If you want a recommendation and and one for the listeners too, um, a movie that shouldn't be that great, but you know, uses that, uh, recovered footage kind of a thing creep oh creep i've been meaning to see that one. we'll we'll watch it like within the next couple of weeks we should do that um but it's the story of a um of a man who i believe if i remember correctly only has a week or two to live and he hires somebody off craigslist to just film his last couple days on earth because um, he has like an unborn child with a, with a wife that's left him or something. I, I might not be hitting all the plot, plot points correctly, but effectively he wants somebody just to film him as he is for his child. And over the course of the movie, you know, he, something's off about this guy and I don't want to reveal anything because it gets wild, but you are the person holding the camera effectively you know not the person holding the camera is like your proxy for it and you get i got legitimately creeped out in that in that movie it's so good man and like you said it's a it's a play on the genre where everything is found footage and it's crazy and it's horror and all that this is a found footage movie but it only stars two people and one of them you don't even see yeah, that's pretty awesome. It's this weird, like, indie take on a found footage movie, and it is great. And then they made a sequel, which should suck. It's really fucking good. So Creep 2 is also great. What, did he live for two more weeks? I can't tell you, Griff. <laughs> that would spoil the surprise. That would. I think one of my other big ones is the the proficient use of practical effects in oh, a world yeah. where... Uh, anything new coming out seems to lean super heavily on special effects and kind of, I mean, if you look back through the horror genre, like the masters of horror have really honed in on the best use of practical effects. I think, you know, still a lot of gore and that kind of stuff should be done with practical effects. It just Mm -hmm. looks better. Yeah. And so I think, you know, that, a good blending of the two for a modern horror movie is something that I appreciate. And I think generally lends itself to them being on the better spectrum. Yeah, I, I, I absolutely agree with that. I mean, there's a reason people loved Mad Max Fury Road because it looked fucking cool. And because it was all practical effects um, with some minor exceptions, but um I think practical effects work really well in horror. And I think we're going to hit on a movie that does um, practical effects really, really well in a moment in another one of these questions. Uh, So let's keep this moving. Okay. Yeah, dude. 
His second question is, and if you collect horror movie monsters slash, uh, oh geez, got me, uh, got me tangled up there slash slasher villains like Pokemon, what would be your ideal team? All right. So BP hashtag Florida man fucks back. AKA bipolar pop tart. Great question. I'm taking this as a big Pokemon fan. I'm taking this as you mean like a team of six, which is the standard Pokemon team. So my choices are as follows. First, I want Hannibal Lecter. Great choice. Then Leatherface. Mm -hmm. Uh, I got to put my boy Captain Spaulding in there. I want Pazuzu from the exorcist so the demon that possessed her in the exorcist um i want the genie from wishmaster and the babadook and i think my reasoning behind this team is there's a lot of there's like a 50 50 split between supernatural and just like straight up killers in this i think you get a lot of intellectual power from like a Hannibal Lecter you get a lot of just like toughness and like attacking murdering power from like a leather face the genie is a fucking genie so that's pretty powerful as is Pazuzu as a fucking um, mid-level demon Mm -hmm. and the Babadook being like a kind of like a spiritual thing Uh, so you get a little mix of both Captain Spaulding's there because of the charisma. R.I.P. Yeah, dude. um, R.I.P. to Sid Haig. He's uh, the actor that played Captain Spaulding, unfortunately, passed away about a month ago, I think. Our our very own Captain Caleb. Yeah. Yeah, it sucks. It sucks because he's one of my favorite characters in in horror movies. I think I I picked him here again for like that, that charisma and that ability that he has to like be kind of a serial killer but also be the face of a group of serial killers that kind of keeps them hidden in a way or mm-hmm. kind of covers up their mistakes i think he's perfect he's a perfect end end cap on uh on like a party of six killers yeah i love that this is a that's a really really tough lineup to follow <laughs> sorry like there's a couple on there that I'd want. Like Hannibal Lecter, I think is a phenomenal choice. Leatherface is a classic. Um, there's some good ones on there, man. But I'm I'm gonna counter you with my team of six. I see your team of six. <laughs> I really like it. Too. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, so um, without any sort of explanation, because I feel like I justified myself earlier, I am picking Jigsaw from the Saw franchise. Um, was it stretched a little too far? Maybe. Did I love it all the way through? Absolutely. I mean, what what else can I say? It's fun. The first the first few are legitimate good horror, and the rest are fun. Like that's all I can say. They're good times. Uh, I'm gonna throw Jason Voorhees on there because I wanted a classic slasher villain. Yeah. But also, I wanted a movie franchise on there that has some seriousness and then some shit I can just fucking laugh at. Come on, Jason X. Yeah. That's I, great. Well, I think that's like, good times. Jason on your squad. I try to, in some respects to avoid that just because I mean, he's unkillable, right? 
Like you would think so, yeah. Yeah, based I mean, ba- based seen. on all the movies, he's unkillable, and yeah. so like that seems like having in Pokemon terms like a missing no on your team, where mm-hmm. it's just a it's a it's a Pokemon that doesn't exist and is unkillable. I I agree with you to an extent, but I would also say some people in those movies get some very creative ideas with how to they get a lot of ideas wrangle Jason in. Why don't you just freeze him in a cryogenic chamber? Exactly. <laughs> so you could defeat him but i don't know if you're ever really going to keep him down um the next entrant i have here is the follower i don't even know if that's the right name but the creature from it follows uh mainly because it's one of my top three favorite horror movies of all time i think the creature is so cool so creepy represents uh sexual diseases that i'm uh very scared of uh it's a you shouldn't be (laughs) it's a uh great concept well executed i love that movie and um i think it's just a good creature to have on my roster because again it's one of those things i don't know that you can actually ever kill it it's very ambiguous at the end of that movie you picked a lot of god mode things steve well this one i think you could defeat and it's the one i hinted at earlier with great practical effects Baby, you know I'm taking the thing from the thing. Yeah, that's a good that's a good pickup. You should have put Kurt Russell on your roster <laughs> because uh I mean the practical effects there are fucking phenomenal. It's a class I'm of course I'm talking about the one that came out in the 70s. It's a classic. Um Brooks and I just watched it for the first time maybe two years ago. I had never seen it before and it held up. I was it legitimately it, creeped it, out. If it, it looked phenomenal and it had one of those endings that I really, that bothered me when I was younger, but I really appreciate now where it's super ambiguous and it makes you think and argue with your friends and like go on forums and go on forums. Like it's a bait. It's, it's compelling. It's a, it's a good, good movie. Um, moving on. I had to fill the roster a little bit with this fifth pick. Um, So I went with Pinhead from Hellraiser. Dude, that's not a roster filler. He's great. Well, I don't have a ton of... He is great. I don't have a ton of affinity for the Hellraiser series, but some of the early ones are fucking phenomenal. And he just is a good classic, like suave bad guy suave he's got fucking needles coming out of his head but yeah but he has a he's got a class to him he's well spoken he's not like i don't think he like moves quick he's not like an outwardly violent but he's a controlling smart person well he's a chitin i know i know he's great um and then i saw your list and i figured if we had to duel i needed some good some numbers. I needed numbers. See, that's funny because I go ahead, but I, I have one of my backup picks. I needed something that could rain down some serious hell. And uh, I picked the birds from Birdemic. <laughs> See, I had a group choice too. Ooh, what is it? But I didn't, I didn't know if, you know, it, I don't know if we're allowed to use swarm tactics. Well, I've got the birds from Bird Demic, yeah, so yes, yeah, you can. I, I didn't know if we were allowed, but I wanted the children from Children of the Corn. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. But but I just figured, oh, I'll just pick like six dudes and move on. But bird De- the, I mean, the birds from Bird Demic, great choice. Thank great you. choice. I, I should have picked Crocodilius. 
Ooh, or maybe a uh, two headed shark or yeah, the sand, me- the um, mega shark versus giant octopus. Both of those get those on, oh, but then Ooh. you couldn't stop them from fighting. That's true. You, you would sink your own team there. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, unless you want mega shark and I'll take giant octopus. Oh God. How will it end? Ambiguously like the movie. <laughs> uh, Can you pick the whole sharknado? Oh fuck. <laughs> Are you looking for a last-minute roster last swap? Minute roster swap. <laughs> I'm just building my fantasy team, Steve. Jesus. We should we should do this sometime. Do like a Deadliest Warrior. <laughs> deadliest horror. Warrior with horror movie villains. Dude, I don't know if you remember, if you ever watched a lot of Deadliest Warrior, but like the last couple episodes, they totally jumped the shark, and one of the last episodes was vampires versus zombies. I was just like, what the fuck are you guys doing? Oh boy. Wasn't, didn't they have a video game based off of that? Yes. Yeah. That's what I, I, thought I never played it, but I like, I feel like it was really bad. Oh, I mean, I don't know that it was as bad as you'd think, but oh, did it you was, play it? I didn't, I didn't play it, but I watched some videos of it being played. Okay. So I think I have a great idea. <laughs> yeah. I think that's as close as you want to get to that That's game. as close as you want to touch that. Last question for the night. This one comes from our good buddy, 10 Lawn Gnomes, a.k.a. Eric. You've heard him here on the Zone of Truth before. He's a fixture around our game table. He's asking us, you hear a crash from a dark alley as you walk by. What are you afraid of that is back there? Deadlines? Yeah, any sort of responsibility. (laughs) Uh, Realistically. Birdemic mm, Swarm. Yeah, Birdemic Swarm is a good one. If it's if it's me, it's it's giant spiders. Spi- I have a irrational fear of spiders, and if oh, yeah. I saw a giant one, I I just take myself out of the equation. <laughs> I'm it's, out. It's not worth fighting. Peace, I'm out. I don't want to live in a world with giant spiders. Yeah, I don't know. End of a dark alley. What I'm most afraid of, I guess. I guess you gotta err on is it realistic or not, and realistically you don't want it to be like uh i mean my biggest fear is a dude in a fucking forklift like lights off just coming at me trying to get me with one of those spikes that's your biggest fear out of the out of the dark alley think about it i mean he's just rolling up what if he got what if he got a real quiet engine dude Mm. he'll just skewer you on one of those what if he sharpened him to points? It's like the Prius. You've worked in the, a warehouse long enough. That's true. It's like a Prius silent under five miles an hour. Silent under five miles an hour. Coming out of the dark. <laughs> Picks you up on it. Ugh. Oh, God. Yeah. That would be horrifying. Right? It's one of those you never think of until Brooks is behind a bobcat. That's a boy's night story for another <laughs> time. I guess, yeah. A, a man driving a forklift. There you go, Eric. <laughs> or maybe a birdemic swarm driving a forklift. Oh, jeez. Although you, you, you would definitely hear it coming, though. You'd hear the birds. <laughs> the- <laughs> Ear-piercing screech. <laughs> Man-made screech. <laughs> God. Movie's great. Griffin, I had a lot of fun tonight. This was a long-ass episode, but I think it was worth it. We didn't hit half the questions that we needed to, but we're going to get to them at some point. The regular show is going crazy places. The evil interludes are back. You're going to hear them three days from now. Be able be there October 31st, blowing up that feed. We want to talk to you guys as soon as you've listened to them, because I'm sure we're going to have opinions coming off of them. Oh, yeah. 
It's it's gonna happen. Yeah. Griffin has done a ton of homework. Uh, like he said earlier, we are journeying outside of Ustalov for effectively the first time this campaign outside of a flashback or anything. So we're going to be playing with a completely new culture that I know and I am super excited about. We're going to be doing weird stuff. We had to send Griffin emails. Ooh, spooky. I know that was spooky. More responsibility. Be checking my emails is spooky. <laughs> yeah. Um, but we're ready, we're ready to rock and roll. And I just want to say to everybody at home, if you are listening to this the day or the week it comes out, I sincerely hope you all have a very spooky, happy Halloween. We're going to be partying for the next couple weeks once we're done with this spirit week. Everybody just enjoy yourselves and stay super, super scary for us. I have a last minute change. Uh, what? Can we call it Spirits Week? Oh, because we're going to drink every day? <laughs> yeah. All right. Because <laughs> we're going to drink it all week. <laughs> all right, guys. Well, this was Sprint Week, and then it was Spirit Week, and now it's Spirits Week. Um, <laughs> hope you pay. <laughs> hope you listen to the entire episode, because that's what it is now. Spirits Week 2019. Day one. Griffin, we're done. Day one of seven, we are done. Oh boy, I can already feel myself getting less stressed out. <laughs> yeah, we got a lot of work to do. We'll see you guys on the other side. Is there anything that you want to say to the folks at home, Griffin? Happy Halloween. Finish your drinks. We'll see you in two weeks. Later. Later.